and welcome to episode 9 of the 1099. This is the week of August 31st. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden. It is another sunny, wonderful day in Jacksonville, Florida, other than the fact that it's about 95 degrees, which I don't appreciate. Uh, we've been on a really good stretch, not only with, with uh, weather, but with having a lot of interesting game critics or former game critics on this podcast. Uh, we had Greg Kasavin recently, which was a really interesting conversation. I uh, just had Kevin Van Orden on the podcast. And uh, this week I have an active games critic uh, compared to those two. Uh, he writes with me at GameSpot, uh, and you, he's also freelanced at a few other places, uh, including what I just saw. It looked like Medium, and I saw one article for Video Gamer. Uh, it is Nick Capizzoli. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, and that uh, interesting podcast streak will end right now. <laughs> I am here to ruin it. It's coming to a screeching halt with this episode <laughs> Please don't turn off the podcast. Uh, he promise. just talked about his enemies list for a really long time. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> All we talked about was that Dead Rising 3 review. I don't really know. We never really touched on anything important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we we both write at GameSpot. Um, and I was just talking to you about this off air, about how it's there's a lot of interesting critical voices on that site. And you were one that I did want to talk to because you go very in-depth in games in a very unique way. And I guess I want you to kind of explain that if you could to kind of start off with this broad question, because uh, if people haven't read your reviews, what is your philosophy on games criticism? Because uh, you often, from what I've seen, a lot of the the people saying this is more of a feature, this isn't a review, which I know has to make you want to pull your hair out. But <laughs> what is kind of your idea of what is a game review and what are you trying to do when you're reviewing a game? The thing that I try to keep in mind with them is that there's essentially no reason that any well given reader has to is going to be interested in what some random person thinks about uh, any video game at any given time. So you know they maybe they think they're coming to find out whether you think that a game is good or if it's bad. But you know who are you? You're you're nobody. You're Joe Schmo on the internet, some freelancer. So what I try to do is I try to keep I always try to keep interest in mind. So. You know, what am I? What am I bringing to them that's interesting? Is it going to be uh, humor? Is it going to be um, you know interesting anecdote, a good story? Um, because you know, if I come out there and I just say like, hey, you know, in in my lead, this game's good. I think it's good. Go buy it. I'm not really telling them anything interesting. I'm not giving them any information. I'm not making the time worth their while because they can just scroll right down to the bottom and read a score and come to a conclusion that way, which maybe they will do anyway. But so I try to find value. Uh, and I always say that uh, value in a game can can come from anything. Games can succeed in you know myriad ways. Uh, so I try to relate that value through those other means. Instead of saying something's good, something's bad, I say like, oh, this game produced an interesting story, so it has value that way. Or this game did something different. It's it's original. It's unique. Even if it doesn't maybe succeed in all the typical ways. So I try to kind of find that value, uh, bring it to the audience, relate it in an interesting way. It sometimes manifests in ways, I guess, that people say, oh, this looks like a feature because, uh, uh, it, you know, I, I didn't say, oh, the sound is like this, the graphics are like this, go through bullet po point by bullet point and, and list the, you know, what's the gameplay like and things like that. Because I'm trying to pick at all these other things. And I, my, my philosophy, I think, is basically that whether I think the game is good or bad, that ultimately kind of percolates out through the rest of the, the stuff that I'm writing. So I don't have to worry about that as much because if I feel that a game is good, then it's going to show through when I try to talk about all these other things. I'll have a lot to say about it uh, if I think it's interesting. And if I don't, then it's going to be tougher to tease that stuff out, and that will naturally come out in the writing too. Is that that way in which you write where you're you're not worrying about bullet point by bullet point, and you're not worrying as much about initially, like your writing is what says if the game is good compared to just a score. Is that something you always kind of did when you were coming up? Because I know, I mean, I've been writing since... Jeez, it feels like forever. Like, I think about six years now, seven years. Um, and when I wasn't getting paid, when I was just coming up and doing a lot of uh, smaller work at smaller sites, I remember having that idea in my head, maybe from reading other reviews, is that it, it becomes almost like different categories. Like, okay, well, I got to talk about the story and the gameplay, then the visuals and the sound. And this is something I was talking to Kevin about. Um, it's something you almost have to break out of if you really want to advance as a writer because if a game's sound doesn't grab you why are you talking about it when you yeah, why would exactly. you waste that space talking about the game this one feature that you feel like well i need to write about this like no you don't you don't if it's not important and if you can use that space because you do have limited space a review can't be 
5,000 words. No one's going to read that entire thing unless it's just wonderfully, beautifully written. But <laughs> if, if certain segments aren't leaving an impression on you, why write about them? So was this something that you came to eventually? Or when you first got into reviews, was it just like, this is my philosophy, this is how I've always felt about it, and this is how I'm going to write? I think the philosophy was there. Uh, the skill probably wasn't <laughs> to, to <laughs> execute on it exactly. Um, I, I haven't been at this for, for that long, really, in the scale of things. But, you know, I think when you, when you talk about game critics, you know, we are, on some level, we're dependent on the game that we're, that we're covering to, to provide the interest. And, uh, you know, if you're, like you were saying, if you're going to talk about the sound in a game, if there's, if there's nothing interesting there, then how are you going to get interest in the writing when you're talking about something that doesn't inspire you? Yeah. Uh, so you have to, you know, if you want to, you want your review to have power, you want it to be forceful, and to do that, you have to stick to the the strong areas, the stuff that you have a lot to say about. So, uh, you know, when I'm instructing other critics and stuff, when I'm giving feedback and advice, I tell them, you know, like, uh, take the time that you need to talk about an issue that inspires you to talk about it. Go for as long as you want. Exhaust that. You can always go back and delete afterwards you know if you've if you've rambled on about it too much but that, that's where the power that's where the interest is going to come from in your writing and you'd mentioned then the grand scheme of things you haven't been going at this too long how did you get into games writing was this something that you know when you were younger you were reading these sites and you're like i want to get in this one day because i know a lot of game critics and i'll put myself in this category uh when you're growing up you're like how can i make money either playing games or talking about games in some way um and that was always this this far-reaching goal for me. Uh, was this the same for you, or did you kind of start seeing games criticism coming out, and you're like, I can do this, and I can do this better, and let's give it a go? Uh, you know, I, I kind of wandered into it, I guess. Um, I had never been a really in-depth reader, I think, of, of games criticism. I, you know, I'd browse IGN and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, in a, kind of like a side interest kind of way. Nothing really... I didn't really delve into it too deep, and I hadn't really thought about... Um, games criticism as an art form really that much until about, uh, I'd say maybe 2010, 2011, uh, sometime around then, I uh, I had just started a new job. I'm, I'm an architect. I work in the city in historic restoration. I'd, okay. uh, I just started uh, that job. So um, kind of getting my schedule in order and figuring out when I have free time and stuff like that. And uh, kind of thought like, well, maybe I'll, you know, kind of get a little bit into games writing, see what's going on. So, you know, did some Googling and stuff like that. And I actually, uh, I won a contest, if you can believe it. Really? Uh, yeah, that's, that's the weird way that I got started in this. I won a contest <laughs> for some small little, uh, uh, Australian site that was, um, you know, trolling the depths of, uh, N4G, you know, posting on there and fighting for approvals and things like that. And, uh, I was probably the only person that submitted to the contest, I think. I wrote a, uh, let's see, I wrote an article about, um, uh, I think it was like control in video games and talking about, um, might have been Mass Effect, I think, and uh, how, you know, there's a, there's the, you know, the tendency to want to like, oh, if someone dies, if you do something wrong, then you want to roll back your save and do it again and how you can get more poetry and a better experience by letting those decisions stay or something like that. And mm -hmm. they took it. Uh, did a few features and reviews and stuff for them. Wrote for them for about a year, uh, and uh, I went to E3 uh, under their name. You know, handing out business cards and stuff like that, uh, doing the real like uh, on the ground work. Um, and then uh, moved to another small site. Uh, did another E3 with them. Uh, picked up on uh, Kevin Van Nord had uh, put out a call for uh, critics who knew uh, stuff about Eve Online. Uh, the veteran players and I remember this quite yeah. well. Yeah. And I said, I can kind of do both of those things, which is not a very um, aggressive way to go. <laughs> yeah, for I was going to say, I was like, eh, maybe you can kind of trust this person you don't know. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I thought I, he didn't say anything back, I think, over about 24 hours. And I kind of, you know, slept on it, came back the next day. I was like, no, come on, commit to this. Go, go. This is a good shot. Go take it. And I said, hey, you know, do you have any other, did you have people going for that job? He said, no, you know, if you want to send me an email. Uh, gave him a strong pitch for it. Uh, got that review. Spent way, way too much time on it, probably, but uh, he liked it and used that to kind of just leverage into regular reviews work there. So really, about uh, two years, and then over to GameSpot, and that's where I've been pretty much ever since. Yeah, and it sounds like you're balancing a lot. You talk about this architect job, uh, your GameSpot freelance career. I know you're writing a book, which is something we can get into in a little bit. Yeah, the freelance life is an interesting one because, <laughs> I mean, I also have a full-time job. I'm similar to you where I'm just doing this on the side and I'm running this podcast now. Uh, and the one main problem 
well, there's many main problems with being a freelancer. But one problem that I've run into is the difficulties that come with actually getting your name out there and becoming more than, like you said, just some Joe Schmo reviewing a game. Like, why should these people care about your opinion? And it helps to be on GameSpot and it helps to be on IGN, but it is hard to get your name out there as a freelancer, which I know you're trying to... Uh, do you had contacted Metacritic um, recently because uh, freelancers, I guess critics in general, uh, if I'm correct, don't have their name underneath the review, right? It's just the outlet. Just for just for video games. Yes. So uh, yeah. So if you go to uh, you know we want to look up a movie on Metacritic and you go and you check the the critical reviews, you know they'll say you know the Sun or the 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 outlet, but then they'll also say the the critic's name underneath, and then you go over to the video game side and it's. IGN reviewed it and gave it this, or GameSpot reviewed it and gave it this, and you know they're a little blurb from it, but they don't list the author of the review, which you know it may be a small issue in the grand scheme of things, but it's sort of an emblematic one too. Uh, but kind of the, uh, I don't know if I want to call it necessarily the erasure of of authors uh, that that write video game reviews, but uh, you know there's a tendency to say that you know IGN thinks this, GameSpot thinks this, and it's one of these one of many factors that I think kind of uh, promote this idea that uh, everyone at a given site thinks the same way and so that their reviews can be compared one-to-one. So if uh, let's take a completely hypothetical game, let's say um, Dead Rising 3. <laughs> I was about to say and, this. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and let's say some, some critic at GameSpot gives uh, uh, the PC release, or gives the Xbox release a 7 out of 10. And then another completely separate critic comes by and gives it a three out of ten, and people say, "Well, what the heck? You know, this is supposed to be an expanded, you know, re-release of it on PC. Shouldn't it get a better score? Because Gamespot said it was a seven out of ten before, but they didn't do it with some other critic who doesn't even work at the site anymore. You know, a year and a half ago. So, uh, you know, uh, kind of, you know, promoting the author, getting getting critics' names up there, getting a little bit more identifiability, which is always an issue for freelancers. I think is is probably a good thing." Yeah, and I mean, I'd feel like a lot of people on the outside don't, they, they do have that idea of IGN gave it an eight and a half, so everyone at IGN thinks that. It's like, no, it's not even close to the case. I mean, especially yep. when you're working at Game, when you look at GameSpot, at this point, more than half of their reviews are uh, contracted out. So it's, it's me, it's you, it's uh, Miguel, it's a lot of different uh, freelancers who, we don't share the same opinions. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I have not played through Dead Rising 3. I have a feeling I wouldn't give it a three. Uh, from what I've seen of it, but like, that's okay. And that's how, that's why for me, more and more important that people look at reviews as, yes, this is under the GameSpot umbrella, but this is a Josiah Renaudin review. This is a Nick Capazzoli review. This is, it's different. And I, I do, I do hope you hear back from Metacritic because GameSpot is not the same as an individual <laughs> at GameSpot. So yeah, that's, that's one issue that I feel like freelancers are facing right now but uh you do talk about dead rising 3 which at this point i would probably say how many comments did that thing have like 8 billion like i feel th- there were yeah. so many people talking about that and um back when i was younger before i got into games writing i feel like i might have been one of those commenters not being angry but being confused <laughs> in terms of like you said why is this expanded version a three but you know now that i'm in the industry and i get it more like it makes sense to me but first off did you expect the shitstorm that followed once you uh, had written that review and knew that you you put the three oh, yeah. on it, and how did you handle that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I definitely expected it, and uh, I, you know, uh, I think when I sent it in, I think Kevin was like, "You're going. It's going to be a three. You, you're sure?" <laughs> like, okay, okay, we're 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 rolling with it uh, as long as that's what you think. All right, go ahead. You know, and. Um, I kind of tried to, you know, preempt it a little bit. I got down in the comment section. I always try to stay in the comment sections underneath my reviews, which is, uh, you know, it's 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 easier for me to do as a as a white dude. Um, uh, I think surprisingly, if you talk to those people rationally, if they are just the fuck you go to hell people, if you try to talk to them semi rationally, usually they will listen to you. If you talk to them directly, which yeah, you you win you win some hearts and minds that way. Yes. I think. Um, uh, a lot of people, and I think this is the 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 impetus for I think a lot of making these kind of comments and stuff like that is, you know, you want to hear you want your voice to be heard, and so I think when you you know even if it's it's angry and it's a little bit enraged at the time, I think so when someone comes out and just you know gives that acknowledgement that like hey I I hear you individually and and this is my response to it you give them that time then you know it's a it's a pay in of respect that sometimes not all the time but sometimes it you know gets appreciated, 
so, you know, even in the comments section and for that one, the, you know, there are a few people that came around like, okay, well, I, I get his explanation. Some of them didn't disagree with me, but, it, you know, it kind of levels out the conversation a little bit. Uh, you know, did get the the insults and the slurs and stuff like that, too. But, uh, you know, it's, it's it's stuff that I can manage. It kind of rolls off my back. Uh, not as easy for other people, uh, mm. which I, I definitely acknowledge and, and recognize. But uh, you know, if I can get in there, if I can if I can talk to people, then I try to make the time for it. You know, if they if there's a level of civility to it, then I'll I'll, I'll usually engage. Yeah, I mean, having thick skin is important. But like you said, it's it makes sense. It's understandable when people do get affected by those comments. You put so much time into a certain review, and then you see these people just throwing the worst stuff at you based <laughs> off. Maybe even that little circular picture at the end of your review. It doesn't matter. And it's just it, that can be not fun, especially when people boil down your hours of hard work to a simple <clears throat> this is terrible. And they're pulling out random parts of the review and trying to debunk it. And you're like, what is going on? I'm still an advocate of getting rid of comment sections. I, you know, even as I go in there, even as I talk to people and sometimes there's productive stuff and sometimes the comments are good. Um, you know, I don't I think it distracts from the review. Um, I think it kind of. It lowers it in a way. It's like kind of debases a lot of reviews when you when you do that. And you know, GameSpots aren't so bad. They're they're tucked down in there in the bottom. You you have to expand them to see them. You know, I've seen sites that they'll they'll put a, the top comment of the of the comment oh. section above the review uh, above the the piece itself. Yeah, which is a disaster. I've seen them interspersed in the middle. Uh, I know a few sites that will put like little uh, like bullet point like uh, chat you know things at the mm. at the end of each paragraph to allow people to append a comment to that paragraph. No, thank you. Which makes them seem like uh, footnotes. You yeah, know, like or a like reference. a Google Doc that's in the works and people are leaving comments on there. It's like, well, no, that's not how this works. Yeah, you know, you 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 click on it thinking like, oh, is this is this a reference? Is this like a citation? Like, am I gonna get you know? And then you you maximize it as someone's like, oh, this guy's an idiot, you know. <laughs> citation. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> but it was in MLA format, so I guess you know. And <laughs> I know Grantland, which is a site that I read very often, doesn't have comments on at all for I'm pretty sure anything on that site, and I do appreciate yeah, they that. Yeah, moved them um, maybe a year ago, I think something like that. Yeah, and I agree. I don't think that takes away from the site at all. I think it only adds to it. And like you sure. said, they can be very distracting. Uh, just kind of a side note question. Um, a lot of people get hung up on scores. I mean, I gave recently, I think, Devil May Cry 4, the special edition I reviewed. It. I either gave it like a 5 or a 6 or something like that. It's not a very good game. And just like all these heaps of comments about the score. For me, the score is... I like review scores. I'm fine with them. If they go away, it's not a huge deal to me. If they're there, they're not a huge deal to me. I think it... It helps if people, there's some people who just want to know, okay, is this good? I'll read the final blurb and I'll look at the score, whatever. I'm not going to tell someone how to live, um, but it's not a big deal for me. I don't think about the score when I'm writing the review. I don't start writing the review and be like, well, here's my eight out of 10. Here we go. I right. uh, will write my review, um, edit it a few times, look over it, and then kind of look at the end and be like, what's this read like? And if I think it reads like a seven, it reads like a seven. If I think it reads like a five, it reads like a five. And you know, Kevin or another editor would, you know, look at that and say, you know, I'm going to bump this. Is it okay if I bump this up one? Is it okay <clears> if I bump it down one? It's just how it reads. Yeah. Is that a similar style that you do when you think about review scores? Yeah. I, you know, as far as the practicality, my, my approach is, is the same. Uh, I'll write the review. I'll go back. I'll, I'll see how it reads. Uh, what kind of score looks like it makes sense standing alongside that. And then that's what I'll put down. As far as my thoughts on review scores in general, uh, I'm of two minds of it. My my ultimate opinion is that I, I think I would like to see them go. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think it's and this goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about. Um, I think when you when you want to say like you know is a game good is it bad? Well, it's it's much more complex than that. It's it's a tough question to answer. Uh, it varies from person to person. You know, and um, you know I think that when you when you put a score at the end of it, I think it kind of blows up a lot of that that nuanced take to it. Um, where you want to say, you know, like, well, no, it's it's not necessarily an end game of is it good or is it bad. It's is can you can you take something from this? Can it can it be used in some way? Is it interesting or can you laugh at parts of it or did it make you feel some some sad emotions for a bit? And you know, was that valuable? Uh, and when you say, oh, it's a sixty-two or something like that, then you know, that, that all that subtlety kind of goes away. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I, I think that. There are a lot of bad reasons out there for for why review scores should go away. They 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 get a lot of attention. Uh, I know that there's some people who say like, oh well, um, 
when a game gets a, a you know a bad aggregate score and, it, and Metacritic it comes out below a ninety, then the uh, developers don't get a bonus. And there there are there are game journalists uh, and other people who will will say that that's the reason that review scores need to go. And if that's going to be the reason that that they you know end up going away, then I don't I'm not okay with that. That's yeah. not that's not the right way to do it. Um, and I think especially now uh, it's a thing that I've written about before. But uh, when you have uh, sort of a, I think a rise in progressive games criticism, which I, you know, I think I've always been an advocate of and mm. pretty, um, pretty clear about that. But like, you know, when you're, when you're talking about feminism in a review, when you're talking about, uh, portrayals of race and, and things like that, uh, I think there are people out there who think that that shouldn't affect a, a review score. Um, it's okay to, t- you know, no, like those aren't real criticism. You can talk about the gameplay. You can talk about the mechanics. You can talk about how many graphics it has. <laughs> Uh, but but you can't talk. You can't give a game a low score, uh, as is the case with the the Dead Rising review. You can't give a game a low score because it, it has uh, sexist portrayals or transphobic portrayals. It's been it. that way for a while too. Like you'll very often see that sort of uh, conversation uh, condensed and put into like a box on the side yeah, and yeah, sidebarred. Yeah, yeah sidebarred. And it's it, the, you know the writer will point out uh, like this is a problem nine out of ten, and you're yeah. like oh what, wait how big of a problem was it? Yeah, and what kind of message are you saying when you when you do that? Mm. You know, you're saying that the stuff is important. When, when I think it is important, um, and and in a lot of cases, the writers think it's important too. And and I don't want them to be, uh, you know, uh, suppressing that aspect of their reaction to a game. Um, so when the call to end, you know, to get rid of review scores is packaged as part of that as a uh, well, you know, if people are going to be saying, making these feminist critiques, if they're going to be talking about race in games like that, and it's going to be affecting scores, then maybe scores are bad. Like, well, no, that's not exactly, you know, the the case. That's not what's going on here. So uh, I, I kind of tend to fight about uh, fight against that because scores are, you know, they're they're a weapon. That um, they can be wielded in in all sorts of ways. It can be complementary to the text that you have there. It can be used to send a message, uh, which I think is is valuable too you know if you if you make a point with the review score that echoes the text that's in there i think that's that can be very powerful and very compelling uh and so when people start using that weapon to uh, assert you know their viewpoint and then people have a kind of a reactionary uh, backlash to that uh, and they say oh well then they want to take away the weapon from from uh from female critics from uh critics of different races and stuff like that just as they start to get to use it you know i think that's a problem and but I do agree that when you start looking, you know, as reviews become uh, more in depth, and uh, for me, I, I really do feel like reviews are evolving and are heading toward you know tackling uh, deeper and different themes. It is very weird for me. I reviewed um, Sunset uh, for Gamespot, mm-hmm. and it's you know tackles a lot of different issues. It's a very unique game with a lot of different layers. To throw a review score at the end of that, it did feel kind of weird because I'm like, ah, I, I think this should be experienced. And to say this is a six or a seven with all the different things going on, like, it, for, I do think that that does make it, it, the review score can be really hard to actually put on it just with yeah. how much more we're talking about. No, it totally does. Uh, it, it's, it's always like such a, a conundrum, I think, when you get to those things. Um, I try not to sweat it too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I go with what the text look, looks like. If it looks like a, um, I'm mining a lot of interest out of a game, then then maybe it, it gets a higher score um, because I think interest is really valuable, um, you know, even in a, in a game that fails in other ways. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really what I boil it down to is is uh, is the game locked at 30 frames per second? And if so, <laughs> then uh, two out of 10. That's exactly. I, I really just wanted to get, you know, have this long, deep conversation and be like, <laughs> we're kidding. This is how we really do review scores. <laughs> Like oh, this game has w- this one bug that annoys me. One out of ten. I don't care yeah, that's the form. You, you take here. the you take the amount of frame rate, uh, <laughs> and you you divide it. You run it through our little algorithm. We we have a spreadsheet for it. It's really it's very it's very dry. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all corrupt. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I like conversations like this because if people listen, they get an idea of how I tackle reviews and how you tackle reviews. And more than ever, uh, I think Twitter is a big part of this. You can, I mean, you tweet. A lot about games criticism and a lot about uh, the different issues and people can see in a sense inside your mind and what you're thinking about this kind of stuff and they can be like okay I fall in line with how he uh, looks at games I'm going to follow him on Twitter and read his reviews instead of just saying I really like IGN reviews like no I like Nick reviews 
in the same way with me where people can follow me and say, I like Josiah's reviews. I'm going to follow him and wherever he goes, I'm going to read his reviews. It's this is something I talked about with Greg. It's, it's almost like you are uh, subscribing to specific channels instead of an entire cable package. It's this a la carte way that um, Giant Bomb has had a big part in just in terms of personalities where the personality shines beyond the actual website. And for me, we're still far away from where I want to be. And like we had said, freelancers are still, a lot of times you are just this little face in a bubble at the end that people don't recognize. But do you feel like we're pushing more and more toward that sort of uh, reviews mentality? I mean, I think so. Um, You know, it's a little bit tough because I think, you know, like I said, uh, freelancers' visibility is always an issue. Uh, You know, when... When you talk about staff writers, they're they're appearing on the videos, they're appearing on features, news bulletins. They're you know their pictures are up on the site, plastered everywhere. Uh, it's very easy for people to associate, you know, put a face to a name and and tune in for that kind of content because it's easy to get it there. Um, uh, Twitter has been, I think, a boon for me um, for kind of building my own audience. Uh, you know, I, it's really what, who I talk to on Twitter when I'm ranting about you know whatever game you know uh, ethical issue or games journalism you know meta concept that I'm talking to my audience I, you know the people that are, are tuning in for me um, and it's always you know really flattering for me when I hear from people like oh you know uh, you know Nick is one of the games critics that I always know if I read his review I'm gonna have a, you know it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be worth my time even if I don't necessarily agree with him about yeah. a game which people usually disagree with me. <laughs> well, so, I mean, that's another great so point, <laughs> is that you're not just subscribing to someone because you agree with them. Sometimes you're like, I like the way this guy writes, I like the way this guy thinks about video games and talks about video games. And like I said, more like there are many times where I read your review, I'm like, I wouldn't review the game like that, but I'm glad someone is. And I'm glad there's someone out there who tackles it in this way and made me think about a game in a way that I would have never thought about before. And that's, I mean, that's why I read reviews, uh, to... Uh, not just look for things that are like, oh, I totally agree with this. Now I feel great about my opinion. Like, no, I want to expand it and it'll make me, maybe in the next review, I'll think differently about that game because I read the way you thought about another game. And it's, you build up your, uh, how you look at things from other people. You don't want it to be confirmation bias. Where Absolutely. You're just kind of looking to kind of feed your ego and, oh, like, see, the people agree with me out there. Uh, you want to you want stuff to resonate, uh, and when things resonate, you know it's always not the you know the, the sign forms aren't always syncing up exactly like one on top of the other one. They just happen to interplay in an inter- interesting way. Um, so you want to find writing that resonates with you, uh, critics that will uh, kind of point your head towards stuff that you wouldn't normally uh, you know tilt it towards stuff to pick out stuff that you wouldn't find uh, find interesting stories that that you're not necessarily going to get when you go to the game. And it, of course, has to be genuine. And that's another thing that I like about your reviews. It feels very genuine. I feel like some some people try to have diverse opinions just to have diverse opinions to get a rise out of people. Um, I'm thinking you'd agree with me. It's really important to have your own unique critical voice when you are talking. But make sure it's actually your critical voice and not a character you're putting on. Because I feel like there are people who do that who are like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to try to be crazy with this one. I'm going to try to go, I'm looking for things to get upset about with this one when like, you have to be honest and you have to be uh, true to who you are when you're reviewing a game. Sure. Uh, and once again, it's fun to be able to say like, we're just talking about game reviews, but more than ever, game reviews are this deep and there there's this much going on. So it's a fun time to review games right now, at least in oh, my mind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think if you're, if you're just putting on airs um, and I, I, God, I know just like you, I know my share of critics that do that. Yeah. Uh, I like to think that it, you can. It's easy to see that because when when someone's just trying to you know strike a, a controversial stance just to have a controversial stance, I don't, I don't think they usually have any foundation to it. Um, those those kind of things tend to come out as just assertions, uh, yeah. usually without any sort of backing evidence. Because what what makes good criticism good criticism is you know it's that not that it's objective or anything like that, but there's there's a science to it where you have to have process and you have to have examples and you have to have stuff to support your theories your hypothesis you know what whatever theme that you want to have to your review uh there has to be something behind there something that's real uh and if you're just trying to you know take a stance if you're just trying to have an attitude that you know something uh, oh this game final fantasy 7's bull you know it's terrible then uh you know you, you're gonna it's gonna be on you then to make your case and if that's not there then people are gonna know yeah and it's no final fantasy 8 so i agree with you but uh, so what sort of edits do you get? Because once again, you take a different approach to reviews. A lot of your <laughs> reviews 
will a lot once again people would say air on more featurey instead of this is a review uh have you ever had any editors come to you and say hey tone this stuff down let's talk let's talk more about that gameplay uh have you ever I, uh, had stuff like that i i get one piece of feedback uh on pretty much every single review that i write <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is talk about the gameplay yep I get that i get that Every every single time, and you know it's it's almost kind of a part of my process at this point where you know I'm I'm going to write the review that I I want to write, and then I'll figure out you know how much you know talk about the gameplay do I need to go back and do based on what what editors are saying, and then kind of meet the bare minimum requirement for that, and see if I can get it to squeeze through, and um you know because uh I, you know like we were saying before like if if something isn't really that interesting then you know you don't need to spend the time to talk about it, and I think with the way that um uh people kind of consume video game media right now they, you know i think a lot of the, the your readership for your reviews these are people that you know they know what they're what they're getting into uh i mean i think with video games you have a a really unique level of access to games before they they release i mean people see trailers and developer interviews and screenshots and uh, you know over you know leaked footage and stuff like that for video games for 2 3 years out before they release um, and you know, if they if they have their their opinion on that for what they're looking for, then you know they're going to come to those conclusions long before you know you ever get to the point where you're going to say something about it. And this was something I was talking uh, with actually Kevin about because you had mentioned you know you get that edit every single time about uh, you know more about the gameplay, and that was one of his like mm. he had this like stream of tips at the end which were all really really useful. And one of the main ones he said like more often than not one of the first things I will talk to a reviewer about is like, I still don't know how this plays. Like you, uh, like all this writing surrounding it is really good. And like, you're making really good points. Was he, was he just like, he was subtweeting me the entire oh, time. Oh no, he even whispered. He's like, like right afterward. I'm like, what? Yeah. So, but I mean, I've had that before too. Um, I remember, uh, I got a review back that was like, okay, like this is really good. What's this game like? Like, I don't have a good picture of it in my head. And that can be something you just forget. You get, I get wrapped up in talking about uh, the themes and certain aspects of the story that I found interesting, other failings that it had. And by the end of it, I will read that. And I'm like, wait, hold on. If I didn't play this game, would I know what's going on? And sometimes it's like, yeah. fuck no, I wouldn't. Like, I did not describe. I, you assume that you wrote enough to be able to describe it, but it's not always the case. Yeah, and I, I try to kind of allude to it in my ways, but you know, I think with you know a lot of times with gameplay, with mechanics and stuff like that, there are. Um, there are really, you know, kind of like a hard science things that you have to kind of get to. Um, you know, there, there, there's, there's art in there and there's interest in there too. Um, so, you know, the, I think the thing is being able to talk about that in a, a way that's also interesting for the audience instead of saying like, oh, you press X to do this, you press Y to do this, you know, you know um, et cetera, et cetera. We all get interesting edits back. I definitely have before, but yeah, that was the one that always stuck out to me is like, just make sure you actually... If I'm going to give a tip right now, early, just make sure you actually, by the end of it, if someone reads that, they should be able to know what the game was about. Um, and you know, this entire conversation has been about reviews, and I do want to continue to talk about that in terms of, you obviously read a lot of reviews out there, and uh, I'm not asking you to call anyone out, um, but what do you think needs to change in reviews today? If the answer is nothing and they're fine, which I don't think is the answer, <laughs> that's okay. But, I mean, what are you looking for? What, what would you like to see different about pe the way people are looking at games and uh, critiquing games? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a long list. Yeah. Oh, boy, there really is. Um, I, I think the – maybe the, the, the simplest thing that I can say is that, um, you know, if, if, you, if you agree that a, a review is, is – is, it's an art. Uh, you know, uh, of its own form, you know, independent of the games that it's, uh, that they're about. Um, I think you have to really approach that review that way. And you have to say like, okay, my review is going to be, uh, it's going to be a, a, uh, self-embodied entity, you know, uh, from beginning to end, it's going to, it's going to read as cohesive. And, uh, that means having a theme to it, having ideas that you're going to pick at and pick at and pick at, uh, for the readers so that they see a consistent, uh, from beginning to end, uh, a logic, but also like a a, a artistic approach to it. Um, so you know, there there are games that I'll 
I'll go to and I'll say like, okay, well, uh, you know, this game kind of made me think of, say, um, uh, this 14th century critics talk about uh, Piranesi's uh, Carceri uh, drawings. And so I'll say, okay, well, how am I going to tease that out through the, the review from, mm. from beginning to end and talk about, you know, and let that kind of inspire me and, and, and follow that road down to wherever it leads. Um, do something different with it. If I'm going to be uh, humorous in a review, how am I going to make that work from beginning to end and not have it be just a paragraph where I make a couple of you know jokes in there and then move on to the next thing and get onto my bullet point list about uh, does it have double jump or not? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the reviews don't always read as cohesive things. Um, you know, and that's part of why I say you know don't come in there and say like oh this game is good. The worst thing you can do is come out and say um, you know like oh this game is. Uh, it's an interesting game, unfortunately undercut by a few graphical, you know, uh, glitches or something like that. Because now you, you've given the whole thing up. Now yeah. there's no reason for anyone to, to do anything but skim down to the end. They got it. It's all encased in that one sentence there. And all the nuance and anything, anything better than that that you're going to try to go do with a review is, is gone. It's out the window. And, of course, you don't have to do that by doing a BuzzFeed like... You wouldn't believe how maybe good or bad this is. So yeah, there, there's a way where you can tease that out and it's not skeezy sounding um so what one and this is what i i ask a lot of people you've read a lot of different reviews for GameSpot. uh what was both your most enjoyable review experience and the one you look back on and say like man i'm really proud of this review um this is something i was talking to kevin about the other day where uh he had mentioned bloodborne because he had so much he wanted to say about it it was also a game he just really really enjoyed he wasn't struggling with it that much because he's played a lot of games in that series. So it kind of came together to say, like, man, I just had a fantastic time reviewing a game I really liked. So, yeah, what's your favorite review experience and what do you think maybe is your best review? Uh, let's see. I mean, well, I think a good experience for me was um, uh, Arma 3. It was, a, it was a lot of fun to review. Because hmm. um, it was, a, I think, a review that, um, you know, I, I, I'll take it on any assignment that I get uh, pretty much. I you try not to say no to, to work well in the first place. but yeah. uh, But also because... I don't want to just be the guy who reviews, um, you know, uh, small indie art games, or the guy who reviews just racing games, or the guy who just reviews the sports games, or something like that. I want, you know, the I want to do like use reviews as an excuse to try out stuff that I maybe wouldn't go to uh, on my own volition. Uh, and I think Armor Three was kind of a game like that. Um, always one that kind of seemed a little bit too intimidating for me to kind of get into um, because I'm not very good at shooters on the PC with the the mouse and the keyboard. Same here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it was a uh, it was tough because the, having to do a review for it kind of made me stick with it and and kind of get through those initial barriers and then start trying to go out to the you know the weird dark alleyways of the mod scene for that game and find all the you know like a, do a mod where you uh, reenact the uh, I forget the operation to get Bin Laden. And, and try that out and then play with people that are really good at the game and doing these crazy interesting role-playing experiences with it and things like that. Uh, and it almost became like um, a sort of investigative journalism kind of thing where I felt kind of like embedded in that kind of, you know, uh, uh, military role-playing scene for a little while. And that's something that I haven't really done before. Um, and I had a lot of fun with it, uh, which I, I kind of hadn't really expected going in. Um, so I had a lot of fun doing that one. I don't know that the the text itself was was. I mean, I did my best with it, but I, it doesn't really stick out on my memory. Yeah. Um, I let's see. Uh, I think I had a pretty good review for the Castle Doctrine, um, which, and I think that was a. It really worked out well because there was so much talk of that game, um, you know, going around in critical circles before it came out. Uh, and you had a lot of access to it, so I was able to kind of get my head around it and kind of figure out the base concepts and then use a lot of that time when I was doing my review to think about what, you know, uh, what are the, what are the, you know, um, what are the implications of this game um, as far as it's, as a, as a critical text, as a, uh, or a, as a game that has meaning, because that's what uh, uh, Jason Rohrer, the guy who made it, Intended. He wanted it to be read like that. It's a game that has meaning and, and is very personal, and you can you can talk to that. There's a lot to mine there. Yeah. Uh, so that that, that kind of produced a pretty good review. Um, Nesansei, which is a game that I always talk about, is um, kind of a critically underappreciated game. Uh, one of the best ones that's come out in a long time. Uh, a ton of fun to play. Uh, very. Uh, challenging uh, game that really messes with you. There are scenes in it where it's, it's kind of almost like a 
playing is like like you're blind, where there's uh, flashing lights and it's very difficult to figure out how to go from point A to point B. You get lost. Uh, it's very alien and otherworldly. Kind of makes the hairs in the back of your neck stand up. Mm. Um, uh, really, and also because I'm an architect, really just very, very <laughs> interesting architecture. Right? You know, kind of like brutalistic, uh, you know, rough, anti-aliased looking uh, uh, sculpture and this kind of abandoned world. Uh, a lot of stuff you can talk about there. And it could and be I try fun. to, you know, pull that through. So. Yeah, and it could be fun also to uh, review those indie games, those smaller games that you don't know that much about going in because you are surprised more often. But for me, I remember um, NBA 2K15, even though like, everyone knows what that's going to be, uh, being able to review that game was probably my most enjoyable experience. One, because I, other than the online issues, which I've, I didn't experience in the review process, I really enjoy that game. I think there's a lot to say about it that's really good, and I'm a massive basketball fan. So be, to be able to kind of uh, talk about the the very sudden and nuanced movements and the, the little details in there uh, related to the game of basketball, like the way the movement felt, the way you could call over like a pick and be able to get that space and release that shot at the right time. That was the most fun I think I've ever had reviewing a game. Uh, but yeah, hopefully... Hopefully in the future there's even more. Um, I there's you know the hope for me I'm always like here are the few moments where I had the most fun writing, but I hope these are totally upstaged by things in the future. Um, what I also like to do is feature content, and I know you are mostly a critic, but are you looking to expand and do more more features and more different things instead of reviews? You know, it's. I, I think at some point, like as a bucket list kind of thing, I'd love to do one of those like really in depth features where someone goes all in on some subject for for six months and yeah. and does that thing. Not a lot of those in the game scene, really. Unfortunately, um, I know Polygon did a few of them that were really good, uh, but you don't you don't see that kind of writing uh, elsewhere. Um, I, I do the odd bit of feature writing. Sometimes I'll pitch it around, see if I get any interest on it. Usually not, because uh, they. My features tend to be a little bit more. Uh, I, I take a hard line on a lot of stuff. Um, my I, one that I I was really proud of, and it, maybe it's it's probably my favorite bit of writing that I've done. Really, uh, was the uh, something I just ended up putting up on my blog. Uh, still there, I think it might be the top entry. I'm not sure, but it was called uh, WWWGC, uh, talking about uh, objectivity uh, in video game reviews and a lot of the same subjects that we were going over today. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of a feature entry and, uh, you know, kind of roughed out the ideas for it, pitched it around a little bit. But I, I don't really like pitching that much myself. Uh, it's it's too much of a uh, kind of a crapshoot, really. Oh, yeah, trust uh, me. It's so much more fun <laughs> once you get this rapport with a website. And yep. instead of pitching, you say, hey, can I do this? And they're like, yeah, go for it. Uh, it's yeah. way easier than that overly <laughs> formalized, like... Let me paint a word picture for you in 250 words in this pitch. Like I don't, I, I don't miss those days. Yeah, and you know, just just the whole the, the the format of it, where you're you're kind of trying to get the ear of somebody who doesn't really necessarily care about you or what you're talking about, and may just be skimming it. It's it's too a little bit too difficult of a format for me to really consistently work at. Um, if I have a really interesting idea, then I'll send something around. But otherwise, uh, I stick to reviews, you know, and I try to to get what I want to get out of reviews as far as writing goes. And if not that, then it goes in the book. Absolutely. And yeah, well, we should definitely talk about that in just a second. Uh, and yeah, in terms of like, I would love to read features from you though. And like, hopefully, like you said, that'll be going in the book. <laughs> Some of the most fun content I have done has been features. I mean, I wrote for. God, this feels like forever. I worked for Steve Burns for uh, Video Gamer. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I did a, a Just Cause Two piece, which ended up being like a three or four month thing which it wasn't the intention but it just was a i was uh interviewing all of the uh different uh developers behind the multiplayer scene for that and that was a lot of fun because there was like six of them so i'm just getting all these different responses from them and i'm picking through these interviews and being like what what makes sense what doesn't and uh steve burns which i always need first name and last name uh, is would just like come back to me and be like, what about more on this? So then I would go back to them like, what about more on this? And it became this really fun thing. So and yeah, I do miss uh, writing more features. I wish I had the time. Um, I did a news feature for GameSpot where I broke the news about uh, the guys who uh, the creative director behind Spec Ops: The Line had started this new studio and they're making their own game now. Um, I'm actually going to be having uh, those people, the Tan gentlemen, on the show really soon. I'm excited to talk to them all about what the hell happened with Spec Ops The Line, because I know that development is insane. Um, mm. But yeah, that's the kind of content that uh, hopefully we'll read more in your book. When is your book coming out? Do you have any sort of idea on that? 
looking at late 2016 mm-hmm. uh, is is a is a pretty good uh, uh, guess for it. Uh, you know, I'm still uh, you know I and I, 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 this has always been a thing for me. I, I'm a slow writer, uh, really slow, uh, which uh, can sometimes be frustrating for editors. But um, <laughs> you know, I try to take the time to to really you know I'll, I'll, I'll just hem and haw over what the the right word is for a sentence for for weeks. You know, if I can. Um, so, and since this is my own project, then there's really nobody kind of over my shoulder, kind of, come on, come on, come on, get it done, get it done, get it done. So, uh, I'm a little bit at my own mercy with that. Um, but, uh, you know, I have most of my notes written down now, moving into rough draft, uh, phase, probably should have a rough draft done by, I think the end of the year Wow. and move move forward from there. So, and, uh, what's it called? It's called, uh, Arcadence, uh, how we talk about video games. Great. Yeah. Like my little pun there that I got. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited to read that because, once again, it'll be the one giant Nick feature that we've been waiting for just in one <laughs> book. Uh, Thank you. And uh, like I told you earlier, so in every episode, we kind of leave off with here is this tip. Here is this tip you could take with you. If you, for some reason, fast forward all the way to the end of this, this will kind of encapsulate um, <laughs> the talk, which would be really weird if you did. But if you did, whatever. The um, too long didn't read for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was initially in my head, I was going to mention the idea of don't do a checklist in your head when you're doing a review. But I think we kind of hammered that point home. So I want to sure. uh, bring up something that you were actually talking a little bit about. And that's um, if you're a freelancer, especially if you are just starting out, don't take assignments that if you have no time at all, don't take an assignment. But whenever you can, even if like you think you might have too much work for a bit, take as many assignments as you can and make sure... That if you look at a game, and like you were saying, you were talking about your first GameSpot opportunity, which was EVE Online, where you're like, I think I can do this. Go for it. Like, mm-hmm. you need to take those chances. You need to expand your scope your of what you can do. For me, like if I, am, I review a lot of RPGs. I re- review a lot of sports games. Um, but I remember Kevin came to me uh, with a tower defense type of game, um, which was a pretty complex game. And uh, I was like, oh, I think I even told him, I was like, I don't have a lot of background in that. And he's like, no, you, you, should, you should try this. And um, I had such a hard time at the start of that trying to get through it. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I just don't. Like, I'm doing my best. And I just kept hitting my head against it and hitting my head against it. And thankfully, that wasn't a game that we were worried about an embargo. So I was able to kind of break through that wall. And by the end of it, I was really getting the hang of it. I really understood it. And I read up on other uh, games in the genre to make sure that uh, I'm pointing out unique things. I'm pointing out things that need to be better. And that was, um, I think it was Defenders of Time was the name of the game. That was one of my most, the not the best review I ever wrote, but it gave me more than almost any other review I wrote just in terms of expanding that skill set. So mm-hmm. if you, there are a lot of times where you make excuses for yourself and you're like, oh, I don't have time for this. But, and this is something Greg Kasavin had said where he's like, oh, I, I, you know, I very often would say, I don't have time for this. More than more often than not, you do. You 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 can you can go for it. Uh, it might be a stress for a bit, um, but go for things. Make time for stuff that you care about. And if you think that maybe you can do it, I almost guarantee you you can do it. There are some <laughs> cases where yeah maybe you'll fail, but it's way worth it and rewarding to go for it. So that is my tip of the week. If you have anything, <laughs> once again, I sprung this on you earlier, but if you have anything, go for it. Well, I'll I'll build off that a little bit, I guess, and say, um, you know, it, like like we've been saying, you know, you can you can take on assignments that you maybe that don't necessarily feel comfortable with, like it's not your normal footing, um, but also play around with your process a bit too. Um, this is something that uh, I think I got a lot of a a, a pretty good education in uh, coming up through architecture school because you know we we spent a lot of time in the studio and they give you prompts. It's like uh, you never watch one of those like. Um, you know, like fashion design shows or like Every day. Co- cooking challenge shows where, <laughs> yeah. you know, they say like, oh, uh, you, you have to pick a card with a color and then a letter. Uh, you got blue and the letter R. Now you have to make a design based on those and you have to work with that. Uh, but, you know, that, that builds up a, you know, they're, they're trying to build a certain skill set when you get that in the school. Um, so you'll have to make a building based on the letter R or something like that. And then you have to interpret it and uh, you know, even if you iterate on that and iterate on that and iterate on that and end up with something that has no, you know, at first glance uh, association with the letter R, like you've just, you've developed a process. 
uh, that maybe produces something interesting at the end that you can talk about for a long time because you've been uh, you've had a, a clear through line from point A to point B. Uh, and you know how you work then, and you could try something new and experiment with that and, and learn different techniques because there's there's all sorts of ways to approach a review um, and, you know, tons of different valid ones. Um, so, you know, sometimes if you if you put yourself in a crunch where you get to put a review together in, in a couple of days, I think you can get interesting things out of that if you if you try to do something different with it or you kind of like lean into that fact that you don't have a lot of time on it and then let your writing uh, take on some sort of quality that can work on that, that can... You know, make get something that's really hastily written down and crazy and off the top of your head, and then you know just let it sit on paper for a little bit, and then come back and see if there's anything interesting there. I think that can be really useful. And um, you know, it, talking about trying out different games and stuff like that, I think that's always really good too. Because you, you the worst thing that you can do as a critic is get comfortable. You know, um, yeah. if you if you if you settle into a rhythm, then you you know before you know it, you start punching out those you know template reviews, where you go through and you hit your your little points that you want to hit, and you know it's soulless and there's there's nothing to it, and you're not really thinking critically about the games anymore. Yeah, and uh, it happens to the best of us. Like it it'll just happen sometimes. You'll get into a certain routine where you're not trying new games, you're not trying like you said like new writing techniques or tackling things in different ways, and you throw a review at that, and you're like, oh. I'm not really proud of that. There wasn't a lot there that I didn't say that much with that. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Nick. I think anyone who is looking to get into reviews or is even currently in reviews, hopefully they will take this and grow a little bit, try out some new things. Uh, I have a strong feeling you'll, the listeners will be seeing a lot of the both of us, uh, in the coming months. Cause Madden's about to come out, which means <laughs> shit's about to go down. Um, by yep, the time yep. this goes out, this Madden might actually be out. I don't even know. Uh, so flood of reviews coming to GameSpot. Uh, and I have a feeling you'll be seeing a lot of us. So uh, everyone could find you on Twitter at Nick Capazzoli. Um, book coming out hopefully late 2016. And reviews coming out. We'll see every week. We're going to put you on that schedule <laughs> every week. I know you're a slow writer, but it'll be fine. You'll be okay. You'll adapt. I'll- We'll figure something out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you, thank you again for coming on, and thank you uh, to everyone for listening. And hopefully, you'll tune in for the next episode of the Ten Ninety Nine.